Jesus' prayer book was the Psalms. When he needed lament, they had been his teachers. When he was praising the Lord, he had more to say about prayer than the Psalms, but that was his prayer book. We call this series, and I've done it a few times before, open to the middle, and the reason is my strong encouragement for your devotional enjoyment is the book of Psalms. I mentioned last week that my role as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So in the New Testament, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are called saint. And one of the things that I want to equip you with that I'm very, 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 very passionate about is understanding how to utilize this book. I think that um, we don't. I think that we think we're supposed to always study the Bible, and studying the Bible is essential. How else are we going to know about the atonement? How else are we going to know about the personality, much less the work and the teachings of Jesus if we never study the scriptures? And yet, I do not believe every morning you're supposed to wake up and learn something new about God. That's not what he built you for, though there is a lot to learn about him that is a tremendous blessing to us, perhaps especially his promises. You are made to commune with him. That is the the dominant need and the deepest need in your life. And the Psalms not only teach us and train us and mentor us in how to do that, they give us words when we don't have any. Have you ever been that tired? And I don't mean tired like you didn't sleep well. I mean tired. You are fatigued in soul. And you know you need to prayer to pray and no words are available to you. These texts pray us. They're a tutor. In, it, God is not only so gracious as to teach us to pray from Jesus and to teach us to pray from other scriptures, but to give us an entire book that not only teaches us to pray, but prays us and prays the entire scope of the human experience. One of my concerns is that you pray politely, and one of my hopes is that you stop you are not called to pray politely. Have you ever read the Psalms? How many of you have ever been in my study? It's not like the principal's office. You can go in to borrow a book, or it can be a pleasant thing. It's back in the back of the church in the summertime, and can sometimes smell interesting because it used to be a calving barn, right? Didn't it used to be a calving barn? Yeah, thank you. In my study is a psalm. And even those of you that, that come often to my study, not because you're in trouble, because we're friends, Sounds like the principal's office when I say it that way. Anyway, is a psalm that I think is darker than you have ever prayed. And the reason is, we think, and this is a very human instinct, but it's a very bad one. We think we're supposed to be more spiritual than the scriptures. We think we're not supposed to pray angry and ugly and mad. We're not supposed, like we have those emotions, we understand that's sort of one of the sad parts about being a human being. We certainly shouldn't pray that way. And yet, if you have your Bible, we're in Psalm chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O oh Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, 
or plundered my enemy without cause. Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the people, peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head. And on his own skull, his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. In my opinion, there are three kinds of psalms. Psalms for a good day. We're alert and oriented. We understand our world and our role in it. Most of the time, we don't even recognize that season. A friend and I were talking a few weeks ago about this, and he said, when are we in a season of orientation? I said, humanly, most of the time, those are the seasons we don't even label because we think it's supposed to be that way, but that's not life. Scheme one, orientation. Scheme two, disorientation. This is a psalm of disorientation. The most common form of psalm is lament, whining, complaining, and I think far more viscerally than most of us pray. I prayed this way yesterday, and I was the only one in the room, and I was praying out loud, and I was so uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable. And I'm a pastor, and I love the Psalms. The Psalms are actually why I'm a pastor. They're why I'm in ministry, because of the depth of relationship God has purchased for us and calls us into. And I was uncomfortable praying like the psalmist in Psalm 7, not even getting to the darkness of, say, Psalm 88 or 74 or 79 or 137 or 109. Psalm 109 says, I think, it's Psalm 109, says, my situation is so bad that I need an evil man to represent me in court because he's the only one that could understand how evil it is what's happening to me right now. Do you pray that way? Such imagination, such emotion, right? So the second scheme is disorientation, and the third scheme is reorientation. The gospel We come out of a season of darkness or disorientation or physical sickness into peace. That's a psalm of reorientation. And you're like, I do not need a sermon about the word orientation tweaked every couple of days. No, you do. And here's why. This is how we experience life. And you're like, it's been 20 years since I was in a season of orientation. The dominant form of psalm is a psalm of disorientation. When I talk to other pastors about this, they get so nervous. And it used to make me nervous that it made them nervous, and then I, you know, I'm a lead pastor. What are they going to do to me, you know? I mean, if I preach wrong, the the presbyter will come in and say words. But, and, and the reason that they get nervous when I talk about this is they say, but the goal is to love enemy. And I'm like, of course the goal is to love enemy. That's 100% the promises of God that free us into that. That is very much what's unique about the Christian ethic. 
And how do we get there? Someone has lied to you. Maybe in the last couple of days. Maybe it was months ago. Someone has lied about you. Can you just flip a switch? And then you love them. Yay! I mean, if you work that way, great. I'm so glad. For the rest of us, there is a provision, and it is learning to pray in all of these seasons. As a full human being who experiences life like this, can an enemy tear your soul into pieces? No. But does it feel like it? Yes. Kind of getting a little yelly here. This is not so Presbyterian. We're going to dial it back a little. Has anyone ever mischaracterized you to another? Gossiped, slandered. Gossip's true story that we shouldn't be telling. Slander's a lie. Have you ever been harmed? Physically or psychologically or verbally, emotionally? Are you picturing an old family gathering? Many of us are right now. Someone harmed us. What did you do? And the scriptures teach us about love for God and for neighbor. And Jesus teaches us about love for enemy. But what do we do when it feels like they're tearing our soul in pieces? We learn to pray. And we learn to pray ugly and honestly. You are not supposed to pray nice. You are not supposed to pray politely. Neither am I. When I did it yesterday, it made me so uncomfortable. And yet, that's my heart, enjoying what has been purchased for me in the gospel, which is a full relationship with Jesus of Nazareth. The quote that changed my mind about what to do with my life, I was going to teach and coach, is in the 90s at the University of Missouri. I did not yet know the Lord was calling me into ministry. The quote is from the psalm hanging in my office, Psalm 137. And you're like, he was saying it's dark because it's probably about armies. No, no. Psalm 137 ends with, Blessed shall be they who take your babies and bash their heads against the rock. Did you know that was in your Bible? Did you know that concludes a prayer? And there's a lot of historical context that goes into that, but I don't want to talk to you about historical context. I want you to know that the Israelites saw that done to them, so they desired it to happen to their enemies. It is an act of profound faith to entrust one's most precious hatreds to God, knowing they will be taken seriously. It's Walter Brueggemann talking about Psalm 137 and the message of the Psalms, and I think I memorized it immediately. And, and many of you have been going to church here for years, and you've heard me quote that before. And here's the thing. If you, if you study the Scriptures, I'm so glad. There are a lot of people in this room that know their Bible really well. And sometimes pastors will tell you you need to classify the Psalms. First of all, you can't even classify all of them because we don't know m enough about them historically because they're songs and prayers. Second of all, if you classify them before learning to let them pray you, you will miss the beauty of this guide to prayer 
in the midst of this world that is very disorienting. So it's good to notice when the Psalms talk about Christ. Those are royal and messianic Psalms. It's good to notice if it's a communal or an individual praise or lament or imprecatory Psalms. You know what imprecatory means? I know you know. It means curse. There are a bunch of Psalms that are curses. What do we do with that? It's part of our help to learn to pray amidst enemies. And it's not polite because this world is not very polite and our relationship with God is far more real and deep and good than that. I wonder as we're looking at the Psalms what you call God. Sometimes we get pretty um, interested in getting our theology right, you know? So we want to talk about God's omnis. Omni this and omni that and omni that. The Psalms will press into our imaginations. And it's not just the Psalms. Perhaps one of the most important texts in all of Scripture, God describing His promise and His rescue to the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. He describes Himself as a big bird. In the Psalms, He'll describe Himself, or the writers will describe Him as a refuge or a rock. The word shield is used here. It's good to consider our theology. It's good to wrestle with it and get it as close to humanly right as we can. I have all those books underneath the psalm painting in my office. It's also good to learn to talk to God the way that we are led to by the psalms and to call him a refuge and a rock. Judge, because there's evil and injustice in the world and it desperately needs judgment and a warrior. So the reality is our, we take refuge in many places, right? I agree. That's an amen. We amen with you. The reality is that, that while Psalm 7, verse 1, in Lord, I take, in you do I take refuge, we actually take refuge in lots of other places, don't we? So that time that someone lied to you, what'd you do? Did you take an extra drink? Did you decide you weren't going to drink anymore? So maybe that was part of it. Did you vent? Did you call someone immediately or vent text someone immediately? Did you shop? I was, uh, I was in a moment of disorientation a couple months ago, and uh, I bought some shoes. And um, they, they were an okay purchase. I also bought a, something else that was a terrible purchase. And when I wear the shoes, I see people with good fashion sense. Where's Ethan? Like Ethan will look at me, and he'll look at my shoes, and he'll think, huh, and what he's thinking is, those work. I'm not sure you're cool enough for them. <laughs> but they work, and I'll take that. Hey, that's fine. That's a fine reaction. And I'm telling you that so that you, we chuckle for a second and so that we know we're all in the same boat. Our tendency as a human is to find a diversion or a distraction or something that will give us some kind of emotional rush because it's painful, and we don't want to sit in the pain. And I'm not going to walk you through the psychology of what to do about the pain, both because I'm not a psychologist and it's not the point of the text. What I want us to do is go to prayer. It's not the only thing to do. But it is one of the provisions of the with God life. Someone's going to lie to you or lie about you. And maybe it hasn't happened in years. And maybe it won't happen in year, four years. 
what do we do? We learn to talk to God the way that the psalmist does here in verse 7 with great honesty. You've been harmed. Leave words aside. You've been harmed, maybe physically, psychologically. This might happen at your place of business. Someone mischaracterized you. What did you do? Did you harm them back? Did you hit back? Did you run away from the relationship? That's one of our tendencies, right? And that's not altogether bad if it's an unsafe person, like boundaries and all that kind of stuff, you know? But what did you do? Did you run away from the relationship? Has it been six years since you were even willing to speak with them? And I'm not, I don't know if that was a good or a bad decision. Did you post about it online? I love when people post about their actual neighbors online. I'm like, are you not ever going to befriend them on Facebook? Meaning I don't really like it. Did you make a religious agreement? That happens in this psalm. It's one of our tendencies, right? Someone hurts us and we agree. I would never do that. I would always do that. Right? And those those religious agreements might be, they might be near a good idea, though they imprison us. You know that about agreements, right? We make this agreement when we're in our 20s, we're in our 40s, and we're like, that doesn't even make any sense anymore, but I've been a slave to it for 20 years, thinking relationships can only happen this way because I've been so harmed. What some psychologists call core lies, I'm calling religious agreements. You see the religious agreements in Psalm 7, verse 3, 4, and 5. Oh Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Little bit like bartering, but it's more like I would never do what they are doing to me. And when we're sitting and talking... And the Lord reveals to you or to me the religious agreements that we've made that have built a prison around you relationally. I get really nervous and I want to talk about how to break those agreements. And one of the things that I often miss is the importance of praying viscerally the agreement that we want to make. Because whether we would ever do it or not, we feel that way when we're harmed, lied to, mischaracterized, right? We feel quite strongly that we would never do that. So I hope over this series, it will take about four weeks, we learn to pray. We learn to let the Psalms pray us. Eugene Peterson, this pastor, theologian, writer who uh, translated the whole Bible so that his blue-collar people can understand it because he realized they don't talk like this. And uh, he wrote, it's called The Message. And if you have ever found the Bible inaccessible, I highly encourage The Message alongside another Bible or, or even just it for a season maybe. And um, the message has sold millions and millions of copies. And Bono, the lead singer of U2, it's okay if you don't know who he is, you'll understand why that's extra funny in just a second. The lead singer of U2 loves the message. And someone told Eugene Peterson that and showed him a quote from Bono on the back of the message and he said, who's Bono? <laughs> but then someone else flew, got Bono to go and interview Eugene Peterson. You can watch it online. And they talk for a few minutes and his wife bakes some cookies and... And they talk about the importance of cussing without cussing. Learning to cuss without cussing when we pray. And they laugh. And it's the two of them wrestling with the Psalms and its visceral language. I would say stop trying to be more spiritual than the Scriptures and let Psalm 7 pray you. You've been harmed and it felt like your soul was being torn. 
pray that way. We are tangled up folks, aren't we? Our refuge is in many places, and yet we have all these coping mechanisms, we have distractions, we have diversions, we have work and rest and play and exercise and substances or the avoidance of all those things. And we often miss the deep breath of this text in the middle of your Bible. It's the longest book for a reason. If you want to know what I think would be the most beneficial thing to you as a human when you wake up in the morning is, if I'm honest, a cup of coffee and the Psalms. It can be tea or water or nothing. Whatever day of the month it is, start there. Today is October 7th. We're looking at Psalm 7. If your energy level goes up and you don't want to sit in Psalm 7 for a little while, which is a good practice, go to Psalm 37, 67, 97, 127. Over the course of the month, all 150 Psalms will pray you. You will speak to your soul about the love and affection of God. You will complain about enemies. And here's all, an enemy is someone who's not for you. You have enemies. What are we supposed to do about them? We're supposed to love them. Well, how do we get there? What do we do with the emotions that accompany the number of relationships we're in with people that are not for us? One of the things is learn to pray this way. Our refuge is in many places, but only one of them delivers. So I don't know which one of those things or many you relate to in terms of when you've been lied to, drinking, venting, shopping, exercise, more stimulants, more depressants. And by the way, some of those stimulants that I'm talking about, those are God-given gifts. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But when you went to those in your tangled upness, when you were harmed, when you were lied to. How'd it go? Did you feel better for five minutes? Five days? Five weeks? Did it help the relationship any? I don't think it delivered, and I think you know it didn't deliver. And, and not, not even those, those choices aren't even bad. Exercise is such a wonderful benefit to our minds and bodies. And yet there are times before a walk and after a walk where you'll be angry at someone who's not for you, and after the walk you'll be angry still. And perhaps in addition to the walk, what we need is to learn to pray this way. I love going to see movies. I don't know how many of you like movies. Most of the time I feel like it's less than me, but maybe not. And I'll go into a movie and I'm pretty disoriented about something going on, sometimes with one of you, sometimes with my extended family, sometimes on my own heart and mind. And if it's a really good story, it totally distracts me for two hours. And then I open the door and I'm, you know, disoriented by the sunlight. And all those emotions right there waiting for me after the diversion, right? Unless the movie was really dramatic and I got to cry and then they're like taken down 10%, but then they're still there, Right? We have all these coping strategies and mechanisms and what we need more than those is to learn to pray this way. We find our own lives and emotions reflected in the Psalms. And I hope that we learn to let them pray us. Which reminds us of the story, right? What is the good news of Jesus in the midst of the disorientation? It's always, but God. I have enemies. I have this illness. 
I have these parents or these children. I'm not even calling them enemies. I'm just saying that we don't always know what to do with them. But God, healing our past, giving us strength today, securing our future. The Psalms give us bridge language between how we actually experience life and the promises of him. How many of you walked the property in the last month or so? Some of you are new. You might not know. Church owns about 38 acres, multiple places where you can see the brook. Anybody walked the property recently? I need to encourage you to do so for a couple of reasons. One, it's a good place to pray, though if you start cussing, I might get a call, and you know what I'm going to say is, hey, they heard my, my sermon. Thanks. Thanks for telling me. What an encouragement. Dog walkers of Simsbury, the, all these cussing prayers at the barn. The other reason is there's a new uh, shelter at the back. Um, if you walk past our Center for Renewal, which is a retreat uh, ministry that we run here at the church, there's a big field back there that's ours, and at the very back of it is a shelter. And if you were in a storm, you would run under there as a refuge, right? Paul Thibodeau and his sons built it this summer. That's a woman that went to church here for a number of years, good friend to many in the room, and he asked me to mention it in the sermon. And I, I hope that you go and sit in it at some point in the next month and pray spontaneously or pray the Psalms. And perhaps remember, as you're led to do by the physical building itself, that God is indeed a refuge to us. So we take refuge in many places, but only one of them delivers and will judge. Man, what a not cool word for a lot of reasons, and yet it's important. There's injustice in the world. What do we long for? A removal of that? No. We long for it to be made right. That's what we pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's Jesus. Come back and make everything right. Quite obviously, he has not yet done that. So we ask him to do it. Do you see the number of references to judgment in Psalm 7? Listen just to verses 6 through 13. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. Which, by the way, if you're familiar with the scripture, you're like, that's not actually our hope, right? No. Theologically, that's not what we long for. But we feel that way when people harm us. That's why this text is so important. It's not speaking as theologically as Romans, and it is speaking so humanly to us. We long to be judged because of the work of Christ and nothing else. And yet, when we are sinned against people, this is how we learn to pray. Oh, let the evil of the wicked one come to an end, and you may establish the righteous you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God, my shield is with God who saves the upright and hard heart. God is a righteous judge. The harm that you have experienced in your life, you know that you long for it to be made right. 
for it to be judged. In some ways, I sort of don't like this analogy because of the way it's going to begin, but I'm going to use it anyway because I think it's helpful ultimately. In some ways, the Psalms mentor us like a good funeral. At a funeral, we need to be engaged in the reality of the moment and the hope. If we only talk about the reality, it's crushing. If we only talk about the hope, we get very unsettled because oftentimes we have unsettled business with the person. Sometimes they were a jerk. And you know what's so interesting is if you call them a jerk, you're that much more able to then celebrate when they weren't a jerk. In my opinion, at a decent funeral, we talk about both the reality of the moment, what we're all sitting in, the real world we inhabit, and the hope. I was asked to do a funeral somewhat recently for a woman who was killed. It was a terrible, terrible honor. A lot of people in recovery in the room, and boy, they know how to grieve better than a lot of us. They know how to tell stories and cry and yell, and it was a delight. And I knew what was going to happen. We had open mic time, and it was amazing. People told stories, laughed, cried, but I knew what was going to happen. No one talked about justice. So I did. And I had already written it out because I knew I would have to talk about it. Because what we desperately need for our memories, for our today, and for the future is both an honest telling of today and hope. And the Psalms give us both. Now, the good news in Psalm 7 is implicit. God is a refuge. We actually know the good news better than David writing in Psalm 7 because we know of the more perfect David the representative king who takes on all the wrath of God, all the harms perpetrated against you and those you've perpetrated, all the lies told about you and to you, and those you've told those came down on Jesus of Nazareth. He took them on himself, then he rose from the dead, offering propitiation, taking care of our sin. So we know even more clearly than David what a refuge God is. And in addition to prayer, which... I hope we take with us as a skill that we're all growing in. We have an even greater provision today, and that is the provision of the table. See, the good news is not that you can pray ugly. The good news is whom you are praying ugly to. It is Jesus who loves you and likes you, who calls you his own, calls you a daughter and a son of the true king, reconciles you into relationship with God because of the work of Christ and nothing that you ever did. And we receive this, and it is even now healing those pains in your past that you thought about a little bit during the sermon, giving you strength to love God today and this week, and giving you a sense of the security of your future, which is with him.